going solo to me is a mindset. It's a mindset that I am responsible for my own destiny. I'm responsible for the value that I offer to my employer, to my client, to my customer, and that I want to continually improving the value that I bring to whomever I am in partnership with. From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a long career as an employed professional. Today on episode 117 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with the founder and chief opportunity officer of Opportunity Lab, Mark Monchek. Mark is an expert on how to grow in an age of disruption. In this episode, we discuss how COVID has set the stage for everyone to be going solo. Stay with us to hear all the details. I believe everyone should have the opportunity to do what they love and get paid what they're worth. On my podcast, I've interviewed hundreds of successful entrepreneurs, many of whom run consulting or coaching businesses. We've created a free ebook with 49 actionable steps from 49 of our popular episodes to help you smash the plateau in your business and your life. It includes tips to help you with your mindset, relationships, business development, and productivity. You can get your copy of 49 Tips to Smash Your Plateau at smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. Now let's welcome Mark Monchek back to the show. Mark is the founder and chief opportunity officer of Opportunity Lab, a strategy consulting firm focused on conscious growth. Mark has worked with leaders from Google, Apple, J.P. Morgan Chase, General Electric, Goldman Sachs, Adorama, TerraCycle, Feltzberg, The New York Times, Wharton School of Business, New York University, Columbia University, NBC, Time Warner, and the United Nations. Quite a long list. He's the author of the Amazon nonfiction bestseller, Culture of Opportunity, How to Grow Your Business in an Age of Disruption. Mark has been featured in Real Leaders, The Better Business Book, The Organization Development Review Journal, Lifetime Network, WPLJ, WCBS, Newsday, Working Women Magazine, and the San Francisco Chronicle. Mark, welcome back. It's great to have you on Going Solo. Thank you, David. It's exciting to be here. Uh, exciting times for Going Solo. There's uh, so many opportunities and so many challenges out there that we'll talk about today. Absolutely. I think that your book, Culture of Opportunity, How to Grow Your Business in an Age of Disruption, is probably even more relevant than ever because uh, we have certainly seen our share of disruption in the last year and a half. And I want to start by by saying that you and I have a, a very similar philosophy, I think, about work, which is that um, there needs to be some kind of alignment or synergy between what it is you love to do, what you're good at doing, and what the the market need is that's out there. We were just chatting a little bit before we hit the record button about how it's probably never been more true that everybody is going solo today. And maybe that's a good place to start the conversation because, yes, there are structures of employees or consultants. There are different ways to to create organizations and create teams structurally. But in terms of the way people work and the way people interact and the way individuals and organizations create value is quite fluid today. And I wondered if you could start off by um, sharing some of your thoughts on the topic. Uh, yes, absolutely, David. And yes, the last uh, 18 months or a bit more have been extremely disruptive. 
And I want to go back to uh, early March of last year. And let's look at the way that most businesses in the United States operated. So people were trained from the time that they were little to think about going to work. You know, I'm going to go to work for a company, an organization. Maybe I'll be an entrepreneur, but the vast majority of people were working for companies. Uh, and I will go to a physical location at a specific time every day. I will do my work. I will go home at a specific time every day. And yes, I probably will be working after hours, but I am connected to a physical place and a physical place within that place, which is my office, my desk, my cubicle, wherever I am. Now, the rationale for that had ended many, many, many years ago because as we saw very quickly, literally within a couple of weeks, we had the technology to have people work from just about anywhere, right? And it didn't take us months and months and months to figure that out. It happened within the blink of an eye and it's continuing to happen. So the social contract of a person going to a physical place at a specific time and working in a physical location within that place was, was ruptured forever within that period of a few weeks when we understood COVID was a reality. And so now, uh, to your point, everybody is kind of a free agent. Everybody is kind of going solo, even if they're an employee, because the conversations now are, well, how many days a week do you need me to come in? How many days a week do I want to come in? Even CEOs of companies that are multimillionaires, billion-dollar companies are re-evaluating what they want from their lives. When you're at home and you're working at home for many hours a day, you've got a lot of time and flexibility to do things that you never could when you were commuting three hours a day. So the whole game has changed, and going solo is more the norm than it ever was before. Yes, and I also want to frame this knowing that there are jobs that have to be done in person. Right. So somebody who who works on a farm is going to have to be where the where the crops are. And somebody who's um, driving a delivery truck has to actually drive the delivery truck. Yet for certainly for knowledge workers, which is a huge part of the world's economy, there's a lot of flexibility that we didn't have before. Yeah, absolutely. And there are our clients uh, do run distribution centers. They run you know brick and mortar stores all kinds of places where people do have to be physically in that place, sometimes for their entire work day and sometimes for part of that work day. But what's changed for them too is it they got to feel safe. They got to feel safe in that place. So if there's uh, some kind of infection going on, we got to make sure we're taking care of that physical workplace better than we ever had before. And if those people are working in a physical place and other people in the same company are not, we want to make sure we give those people some amenities, some you know, things that make their job interesting and better because they're not able to work remotely. Right. So, Mark, what does going solo mean in today's world for the employer and the worker? So let's start off with, with going solo to me is a mindset. It's a mindset that I am responsible for my own destiny. I'm responsible for the value that I offer to my employer, to my client, to my customer, and that I want to continually improving the value that I bring to whomever I am in partnership with, right? So that's the first thing is the mindset. Uh, now, that mindset could be expressed as, you know, you are an independent consultant starting out or you're a, or you're a solopreneur starting up a company. It could be that you're 
an employee that works in a different modality that you used to be working nine to five in a physical place and you've negotiated a totally different arrangement with your employer. You're still, you know, uh, an W2 employee, but you've negotiated something very different than when you started out, you know, working for that company. And how about from the employer's perspective? What's the difference in the mindset? The difference is, is that the employer needs to have an alignment with their employees and their service providers. And it's not just, well, I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars, so I expect you to uh, come in at a particular time, work a particular number of hours, come to a physical place. We see people who are like, yeah, I'll absolutely do this job, but I don't want to come in at all. Well, we need you to come in one day a week. So that's a negotiation that didn't happen before. So when you're going to have many, many people coming in one day a week or two days a week or three days a week, how do you actually do that? What does the physical workplace look like? So I don't think our employers took that much care to think about the physical workplace and how people actually work there because you come in your place, you work, you go home. Well, now you're going to come in and are the people on your team going to be in the same day that you're in? Uh, Is my boss going to be in the same day that I'm in? Is there a desk that I used to have that is assigned to me or am I going to be hoteling? And is there the technology that will make sure I can have a desk at a particular place at a particular time? So it's really thinking things through about who goes in, when, how do they work, how do they communicate, uh, are conference rooms set up so that you can actually have technology so that people outside of the office are coming in through a screen, have as close to the experience as somebody that's in the physical room as possible. You know, all those kind of things employers are needing to think about today. So what are some of the situations that you see that are working out really successfully that are setting up organizations and their team members to be rock star successes from COVID going forward? You know, I think it starts, David, with respecting the needs and the situation of your employer, your employee, your consultant, your service provider, and not assuming that you can expect something because you've always expected it. So I think respect collaboration, communication, uh, the companies that are doing that. Uh, you know, we have worked with recently, we've worked with Adorama, with Feltzberg, with uh, TerraCycle, and they have found that, you know, giving that respect and that collaboration has worked very well for them because they understand that people are, are going out of their way to do things that they never had to do. And companies that go out of their way to help people feel accommodated, that's when you really bind those employees or those free agents together with the employer because that respect and that collaboration is really what people want. One of the most important things people want. Right. So would you say that respect, collaboration, and communication are the three main drivers for post-COVID success? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And what are some stories of companies and or individual workers that embody respect, collaboration, and communication and some ways that may change some thinking of of either employers or individuals. So I'll use Adorama as an example. It's it's a local, locally based retailer of consumer electronics, but they have been really selling globally and nationally, and now they have a presence in California, presence in Utah, soon in Tennessee, a retail store, uh, significant e-commerce businesses in 
custom printing and rental, uh, as well as sporting goods. So what, what they did really was to, first of all, make safety the absolute priority. Let's make sure that no one gets sick in any unnecessary way. So physically making sure that the offices were closed when they need to be closed, the places like the distribution center and the, you know, the warehouse and the places where they keep inventory and some of the manufacturing facilities, distribution centers had to be ventilated properly, full up with PPE equipment, social distancing, and a lot of communication about why this is done and making sure people were able to express how they felt about this very radically changed situation because they had kids that were were taken out of school. They had elderly parents that were taken care of. So we, in collaboration with Adorama's Human Resource Department, started a program called Share Lab, where we would go into department by department over the course of several months. And we'd ask three questions. What is inspiring you? what is troubling you, and where are you calling from? And those three questions allowed people to feel cared about, connected, and functioning effectively. And we heard everything from trauma that people were experiencing to the joy of feeling the freedom that they could work from home and be safe, the gratitude, as well as, hey, I don't have a laptop. I didn't learn how to use AS400. I was onboarded, and I need to figure this out. And it made the company so responsive and they really were incredibly responsive because we had these lines of communication that were open from the beginning. What were some of the unexpected changes that the company instituted as a result of these conversations? Well, one of the unexpected things that happened, and I'll answer that question in a moment, was they saw how grateful people were being treated so well, so humanely, so flexibly, and how people went the extra mile to, you know, so if they were spending three hours in a car commuting, they would take two of those three hours and put it back to extra work because they were so grateful and flexible in in how they were able to to do it. So in, in terms of what did it do in terms of policies and, and changes uh, of how they operated? Whenever they made a change in the policy about people coming back to work, how and when and where they came back to work, it was done with a lot of communication, a lot of understanding and outreach throughout the employee base from all different parts of the company to understand what people were dealing with and how to accommodate the different needs of people and not to just have one rigid policy that would cover every particular situation is staffing up the HR department, you know, to have more people who would be available, putting in an employee assistance program, which was free to employees to be able to have somebody they could talk to if they had, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder or some situation with a parent or a child that they needed help with. Right. So it also sounds like the company was willing to invest more money in some of these activities that were for the benefit of the employee's well-being. Definitely uh, investing more money, but also investing more attention. And sometimes the attention did not require money, and sometimes it did. Okay. Can you talk about what some of the results were for the company's business? Yeah, so the company had its best uh, business year ever, and its customer uh, experience ratings went up. Uh, It started becoming much more visible in categories that they had not been as visible in, things like podcast equipment, musical instruments, uh, drones, home automation, uh, pro audio, uh, webcams, PPE equipment that they were able to acquire that their customers needed. So they were 
they were in those categories for years, but they were more dominant in cameras and lighting and video. And they were able to really truly be a full service uh, consumer electronics, especially retailer, because they had products when Amazon did not have them, or they were able to get the products out of the warehouse where other companies could not do that. How much do you think the business's success during COVID was related to the sector that the company was in versus the, some of the changes in, in, in the culture and the behavior? Uh, it's a great question, David. I don't know that you could separate them out. I, I think certainly COVID was an advantage for some companies and a disadvantage for other companies. There's no, no question about that. I think the companies like Adorama, and Feltzberg and TerraCycle were able to actually take advantage of the advantage because of their foresight, because they acted quickly, because they listened, they communicated, uh, they responded. They, they did not hold to, well, we've never done that before. Okay, well, we have to do it now. Let's do it collaboratively. Right. Now, given your experience in these kinds of companies over the last year and a half, what do you foresee as the the future of work from the perspective of the the knowledge worker who could either be a w two employee or an independent consultant? You know, to your earlier point about you know how we very much agree on philosophy, you know, I think of the um Jim Collins book, Good to Great, has this hedgehog principle, which he talks about, you know how companies find out what their sweet spot is. I call it the unique value proposition. He calls it the hedgehog principle. So there's this big circle at the top of the circle is what are you most passionate about? At the left-hand side, what is your unique excellence? What are you What are you best in the world at or close to being you know, best in the world at? And then in the bottom right, what is the demand? What is the market demand or the economic opportunity that is out there? So for people who are, whether you're an employee or whether you're going solo and you want to become uh, an entrepreneur, uh, excuse me, a solo entrepreneur or a consultant or whatever you want to do, focus on what you really are passionate about, what you are great at, and then what is the market opportunity. And somewhere in the middle of those three things is where you're going to add value and continue to add value. The more passionate you get, the more you learn, the more you learn very specifically all the details about that particular subject or that particular skill set that you were great in. You continue to build your excellence and build that excellence not just within yourself, but having a network of colleagues, uh, teammates, um, you know, people who are additive, complementary to what you're great in, and then continuing to understand where is that market opportunity. What is there that was not there a week ago or a month ago that you could focus on? And yet, I know we talk a lot about recurring revenue. Is there a recurring revenue model in there that might be able to be leveraged because of this unique opportunity at this moment in the marketplace? And Mark, in your own case, I know you've been both an employee and an entrepreneur. How have you applied these principles in in your work so that you can be successful at what you do? You know, I... My passion is, I really try to let my passion guide what I do in my life, you know? So I just love being curious and I love talking to people, reading, exploring. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I took, uh, there's a great uh, company called Untapped Cities in in New York. They're also gonna span around the country, but they have the most amazing tours that you could possibly imagine. So I went a couple of weeks ago to Ellis Island has a hard hat tour of the abandoned hospital 
on Ellis Island that served, you know, thousands of people over that course of that time between it was opened in 18, I think, uh, 92 and closed in uh, 1924. So why is that relevant to my work that I do now? Well, because I'm writing about what happened in the 1918 pandemic that is relevant to where we are right now. What did we do right and wrong back then that you could actually see in that hospital tour? You know, I, I write about things that are in front of me every single day, you know? So I think allow your passions to get into uh, the people that are in your business life. So publish on LinkedIn, uh, publish on Facebook, go on podcasts, you know, be out there and, and let people understand your passion and particularly the excellence that derives from your passion so somebody else can use that information for themselves. Right, and, and how do you describe your excellence? You know, my passion and my excellence are around finding the unique greatness of individuals and organizations. You know, seeing somebody and understanding underneath that person, there is something unique about her that has an opportunity to be great in the world and with a company as well. So listening to people, really using my intuition, learning about them, you know, being generous and, and, and offering myself to them. And through that, I found an ability to understand the unique greatness of people and the organizations they work for. And then in the market demand, well, I wrote a book about that, uh, you know, and then now we're really focusing a lot of our programs around disruption. You know, so we have a program on conscious leadership in an age of disruption, uh, you know, ShareLab is all about managing through disruption. Uh, we have an opportunity community group, which you attended, which is all about helping people manage through this disruption. And some of those have recurring revenue opportunities. It sounds great. So, Mark, congratulations on everything you've achieved in your career, the fantastic work that you're doing with individuals and organizations to try to help the greatness shine. If someone wants to access any resources you have, get a copy of your book, attend any events that you're part of, or get in touch with you, where would be the best place for them to go? Well, there's a lot of free resources on oplab.com, O-P-P-L-A-B.com. So we have uh, recordings of podcasts. Some of the ones that I've done with you are on there. Many different podcasts on related subjects to culture of opportunity, disruption, living in an age of pandemic, uh, the future of the workplace. We also have a number of articles, which are also free. We have a newsletter, which comes out monthly, which is free. We have an assessment, which you can take on our website is also free. And then we run this opportunity community that you were a, a guest uh, presenter on a few weeks ago, every Thursday uh, from four o'clock to 515. And we are doing the future of the workplace this Thursday. So you can go to discover at oplab.com to attend that program or sign up for our newsletter on our website or access all the free resources there. Sounds great. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for coming back again and joining us today on Going Solo and share your insights. My guest has been the founder and chief opportunity officer of Opportunity Lab, Mark Monchek. Thank you again, Mark, for joining us. David, it's been fantastic. Thank you for allowing me to come on. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how COVID has set the stage for everyone to be going solo. I believe everyone should have the opportunity to do what they love and get paid what they're worth. 
On my podcast, I've interviewed hundreds of successful entrepreneurs, many of whom run consulting or coaching businesses. We've created a free ebook with 49 actionable steps from 49 of our popular episodes to help you smash the plateau in your business and your life. It includes tips to help you with your mindset, relationships, business development, and productivity. You can get your copy of 49 Tips to Smash Your Plateau at smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode. Thank you.